thanks to ZipRecruiter, which is the presenting sponsor of Recode Decode and the smartest way to hire. Let's face it, hiring isn't always fun. It can be exhausting, but that's no excuse for not taking the time to make sure to find the right hire. How can you make finding great candidates faster and simpler? With ZipRecruiter. Their powerful matching technology scans millions of resumes across its network to actively find people with the right experience and invites them to apply, so you get qualified candidates fast. If you're hiring, it's time to get smart. Try ZipRecruiter for free right now at ZipRecruiter.com slash decode. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash decode. Hi, I'm Kara Swisher, the editor-at-large of Recode. You may know me as the only person who can make Mark Zuckerberg sweat, but in my spare time, I talk tech and you're listening to Recode Decode from the Vox Media Podcast Network. Today, we have a really special interview for you. I sat down with Facebook CEO Mark Zuckerberg at the company's Menlo Park headquarters. Everything was on the table, and for Facebook after this year, it was a very huge table. Let's take a listen. So, Mark, thank you so much for talking to me. This is happy our first interview it. in years, right? Yeah, We've happy to do it. seen each other, no problem. So, let's. I want to start off with the news of the day. You saw the Putin-Trump press conference, essentially. I saw so the news about you it. You saw the news about it. Um, Tell me what you think about his idea that there is no evidence that the Russians used social media and did different things during the election. Well, the evidence that we've seen is quite clear uh, that the Russians did try to interfere with the election. Mm-hmm. Um, what we saw... This is on Facebook. Yes. I mean, all of, all of what we saw was on Facebook. And, mm-hmm. and then you know, we've tried to cooperate with the government and the different investigations that are going on. Mm-hmm. And they obviously have much more context in this. But... Mm-hmm. What we saw before the election uh, was this Russian hacking group, part of uh, Russian military intelligence Mm -hmm. uh, that I guess our government calls APT-28. Right. Mm -hmm. And they were trying to do uh, more traditional methods of of hacking, um, phishing people's accounts, uh, just getting access to people's accounts that way. And we identified this actually in the middle of 2015. Mm -hmm. And... Uh, notified the FBI. And when we saw uh, similar activity through the campaign in 2016, uh, that they were trying to fish uh, people's accounts in both the DNC and RNC, we, mm-hmm. we notified some of the people um, over there as well who we thought were at risk. And then later, uh, we also identified that they had set up a fake account and, and, and fake pages um, under the banner of connected to this thing, DC leaks, mm-hmm. um, in order to seed stolen information that they'd gotten to, to journalists. So we, uh, around the time of the election, um, had given th- this context to the FBI. Mm-hmm. Um, they've clearly gone much further now at this point in terms of putting the whole story together. Um, and you could see that in, in the indictments that, that Mueller just issued over the last week or so. Um, so that's the part that I actually think we, we got and we're on top of. Now, mm-hmm. uh, there's a whole other area of, of election interference that, uh, that we were slower to identify, right? And that's around the coordinated information operations right. uh, that they were trying to run. And that was a different group. Instead of APT28, um, that was this group, IRA, the Internet Research Agency, uh, which basically was just setting up a network of fake accounts um, in order to spread divisive information, mm-hmm. yeah, misinformation, Using divisive information. Using advertising content in a variety of ways. Yeah, well, both both advertising and organic. Mm-hmm. Um, so setting up pages and and using the free product. So, mm-hmm. you know, once we became aware of this, which, 
you know, we think we were, we were too slow to, to mm-hmm. being on top of that. But once we became aware of this, um, we developed this whole roadmap and set of techniques to go and handle uh, that type of security threat in addition to the type of phishing and more traditional cyber attacks mm-hmm. uh, that we'd seen before. So that takes us through um, all the elections that we've seen since then. So there's the French presidential election, the German right. election, the Alabama special election, um, the Mexican election recently, and there are elections all around the world. And now, you know, the playbook is, you know, we build AI tools to go find these fake accounts, find mm-hmm. coordinated networks of, of inauthentic activity and take them down. Um, we make it much harder for anyone to advertise in ways that they that they shouldn't be, right? So uh, a lot of tools are on ad transparency to make it so that uh, anyone who's advertising, especially around political and issue ads, will have mm-hmm. a lot of the information, a very high standard of transparency, higher than, than mm-hmm. what you have in TV or, or print or other kinds of ads there. And in the U.S., we're also even going so far as verifying uh, the identity and location of every single um, advertiser Purchaser. who wants to run a political right. or issue ad, which right. um, which for a lot of folks, legitimate folks, has slowed down the process of mm-hmm. buying ads, which um, I think can have its own costs for discourse, but um, but we just think is the right precaution to be taking on this. Mm-hmm. So, um, anyhow, so, that's probably a, a longer answer no, no, to, to what right. you were going for. So, but, but I so, guess so, the, so you believe it's the Russian government from where you're sitting was was using or misusing Facebook. You believe it was the Russian, unlike Trump. You believe it was the Russian government. So the information that we have on who these groups are largely mm-hmm. comes from the U.S. government mm-hmm. and U.S. intelligence. Mm-hmm. Um, so you believe U.S. intelligence? I, we have no reason not to. Okay. Um, and, and certainly um, we've seen the activity from APT28. That mm-hmm. name, I think, comes from U.S. intelligence. Mm-hmm. Um, Advanced Persistent Threat 28 from Russia. Um, and the IRA, I mean, these are real things. I mm-hmm. mean, this is not... These aren't things that someone made up. And we mm-hmm. saw this activity. Um, we went out. Um, we've traced IRA activity not only um, mm-hmm. through what they've tried to do in the U.S., mm-hmm. um, but we've traced that activity uh, back to trying to uh, manipulate culture and news in Russia itself, mm-hmm. including taking down their um, pages that are connected to sanctioned Russian news organizations. Right. The government, um, Roscom has said are real news organizations there, but what we've detected through our systems are actually essentially the same thing as the IRA. All the people who are running them are are, are the same. So yeah, so these things are real um, and we've been aggressively pursuing them for the last couple of years. And this is now just part of the ongoing playbook that we have um, for preventing this kind of these kind of disinformation so campaigns. So what took you so long? I mean, I think many people, as you know, feel disappointed with Facebook's behavior and the slowness that is given the power you have um, or the power over the market you have. I don't want to say what's your excuse, but that's kind of the question. What was the problem? Uh, I mean, I think we just weren't looking for these kind of information operations. You know, we have a big security operation. We were mm-hmm. focused on traditional types of hacking. We found that and notified both the government and the people who mm-hmm. were at risk. But... We were, there's no doubt. I mean, we were too slow to identify this new kind of attack, which was a coordinated online information operation. And you can bet that that's now a big focus of the security um, effort that we have here. And we're very focused on making sure that we get this right, not just broadly, but in all the elections that are coming up. 2018 is an incredibly important election year, not just with the the important midterms here in the U.S., but mm-hmm. you, know, you just have the Mexican elections, you have Brazil, right. you have India coming up at the beginning of next year. There's a, an assortment of elections around the EU. Um, we're very serious about this. We need to. We know that we need to get this right, 
Um, and we take that responsibility very seriously. Yes, I, I know you say that, but what I, what I do want to get out, do you reflect on what it was within, because you're the leader here, you're the mm. head of this, that you didn't see it, that you don't see that side of humanity or that you don't understand your responsibility? I'm not sure. I think in retrospect, I do think it's fair to say that we were overly idealistic and focused on more of the good parts of what connecting people and giving people a mm-hmm. voice can bring. And I think now we understand that given where we are, mm-hmm. right, both the centrality of Facebook, but also frankly, we're a, we're a profitable enough company to have 20,000 people go work on reviewing content. So I think mm-hmm. that that means that we have a responsibility to go do that. And that's mm-hmm. a different position than we were in five or six years ago, even when we went public and we're a meaningfully smaller company at that point. Um, so I do think it's fair to say that we were... Uh, probably only, we were too focused on on just the positives and not focused mm-hmm. enough on on some of the negatives. Mm-hmm. That said, I don't want to leave the impression that we didn't care about security or didn't have thousands of people working on it before that. Right. right? No, so I don't, I don't so it's it's case. not like uh, I think that these are are different kinds of threats that mm-hmm. that people widely didn't anticipate, and that isn't an excuse. I think it's our job to anticipate this stuff on our platform and to make sure that it's that that people can't use it for for negative. Um, and this was a new thing, and I think we understand that we were slow to it and need to do a better job, both on this specific type of threat, uh, defending against nation states, which is not really um, a, a top-line thing that we'd that, that was a major focus uh, before, even though there were some parts of the program that were doing that. Um, but I also think that we know that uh, there are going to be new threats in the future that we haven't seen yet, and that security is an arms well, race, some, and it's our responsibility to be feel, as ahead of that as possible. Some people feel you are a nation state in a lot of ways. No, we're not. We're a company. Okay. So you know that. You know people think of you in a much more powerful uh, manner, I guess. Um, I think we have a lot of responsibility. I mean, mm-hmm. the, the community, more than 2 billion people use our products, and mm-hmm. I think we we get that with that. A lot of people are using that for a lot of good, but we also have a responsibility to mitigate um, the the darker things that people are going to try to do. What, right? How and, does that? What does that responsibility feel like? Do you think you have understood it? Because there's a lot of ways. Someone was saying to me, uh, "You can't just pass power along. You have an enormous amount of power. Do you understand that, or do you just do you think about that, or you don't think you have?" No, I think we have a big responsibility, but I'm not sure what you mean by pass power along. But what? I actually think one of the things that we should be trying to do is figure out how to empower and build other institutions around us mm-hmm. that are important and can help figure out these new issues on the internet. Like so, what? Um, so in one example recently is probably fact-checking, mm-hmm. right? It's, you know, I don't think that we should be in the business of having people at Facebook who are deciding what is true and what isn't. All right, we're going to get into that. Yeah, but, but, I, but I think that, but someone has to have the job of, of doing that, right? Mm-hmm. Some society needs people who uh, can be trusted. You can, who can say to, to vet things um, fairly and say, this is provably false. So I think that there's a role there to help build an ecosystem um, and support that ecosystem. Um, news, I think is another topic that, that I'm sure we'll get into. Yeah, we're going to get into it in just a second before we get to that, but we are going to, the idea of other institutions, that's a really interesting idea. So when you, we first met, if you remember, do you mm-hmm. remember when we first met? 
I remember we went on a walk, what, we but I don't know if walk. that was the first time. I think it was. Owen Van Atta introduced us. Um, and two things you did is uh, you said, I hear you think I'm an asshole because I had just joked to Owen about it. And I said, I don't know you well enough to know if you're an asshole or not yet, but I will soon. Um, but one of the things you did t- tell me that was really striking was you called Facebook a utility. Um, do you remember that? Yeah, I called it that for for a while. For a while. Yeah. And and at the time you meant it was a useful system. It was it was in contrast to other internet companies at the time. They're much more entertaining or various mm-hmm. things like that um, who, that were in ascendance at the time. What do you call Facebook now? I mean, I, I think that that is still a good description. I mean, mm-hmm. in general, where we're a social network. Um, I prefer that because I think it is focused on the people part of it as opposed to some people call it social media, which I mm-hmm. think focuses more on the content. For right. me, it's always been about the people. And mm-hmm. the reason why I called it a utility was because a lot of people used to think it was a fad. Mm-hmm. And what, what I was trying to communicate was, no, building a network and building relationships is one of the most core things mm-hmm. uh, that people do. And that is an enduring utility that people need right. that is not a fad. Mm-hmm. Um, the company shouldn't be run to try to build something that is cool. It should be trying to it should be run to build something that is that is useful and enduring. Mm-hmm. Um, and I still believe that. right. But I think that there's this notion today that a lot of the main uses of of social networks are for sharing content. and and that obviously has a has a big impact on, you know, giving people a voice and there are safety and security implications, mm-hmm. there are media implications of that. Mm-hmm. But when I think about what social networking should be, it's, okay, now you've mapped out all of the people who who a person cares about. What are all the useful things that you can do for people on top of that? So I think about things like marketplace that, that we're doing, that now, you know, people can have trust through their network um, and uh, can basically go and buy and sell things more easily than they would be able to mm-hmm. on other services. You know, your choices are basically, um, you know, you can use Amazon, which is a central service. You can use eBay, which is a community because they, they mm-hmm. have their um, their broad uh, reputation system. Or you can trust people through the network. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people uh, choose to do that because they know people in common and, um, and, and that feels better and is a better experience for them. So I think that that is a really important um, example. Um, and other examples are things like safety check. I mean, there are disasters that happen. Hurricane Harvey mm-hmm. um, came up and you had people self-organizing through the community and getting in boats and driving around rescuing people coordinated ad hoc through this network. Well, that's not, that's not a, a media function. Um, that's a, a social network of people coming together um, ad hoc to provide safety infrastructure right. that the world needs. So that's kind of more what I, how I think about what we're doing. And but my hope would be... you're talking about a city then. Um, I'm not sure if it's, a, if it's a city. I think it's it's social infrastructure to be sure. Mm-hmm. Um, but my hope is that if you fast forward five or 10 years, more of what people think about social networking will not only be the aspects around um, people sharing content, but also um, people coming together in these different ways. Mm-hmm. So yeah. let's talk about news. Let's talk about news. Sure. Um, this has been one of, every day seems to be a new thing of people asking you to make determinations about what news is. The power you have over distribution is very clear um, to publishers, to citizens and everyone else. How do you look at your role? Because you're kind of an accidental publisher in a lot of ways. Um, content, there was all kinds of content, but right now you're being asked, right now as we're be doing this interview, there's a congressional hearing going on. 
Um, in, in that case, uh, conservatives think that you're not, you don't give enough voice to conservatives. Uh, yesterday I wrote a story, which I think you read about, uh, uh, other publications think you give too much voice to those. You shouldn't have Infowars on here. Um, let's talk about Infowars. Let's use them as the example. Sure. Make the case for keeping them and make the case for not keeping, not allowing them to, to be distributed by you. So there are really two core principles at play here, right? There's giving people a voice so that people can express their opinions. Uh, and then there's keeping the community safe, which I, I think is just really important. And um, we're not going to let people plan violence or attack each other or do bad things. Right. Um, so within this, those principles have real trade-offs and, and real um, tug on each other. In this case, we feel like our responsibility is to prevent hoaxes from going viral and being widely distributed. Okay. So the approach that we've taken to false news is not that, not to say you can't say something wrong on the internet, right? Mm -hmm. I think that that would be too extreme. Everyone gets things wrong, right? right? And if we were taking down uh, people's accounts when they got a few things wrong, then that would be a hard world for giving people a voice and, right. and saying that you care about that. But at the same time, I think that we have a responsibility to, when you look at, if you look at the top you know, 100 things that are going viral or getting distribution on Facebook within any given day, I do think we have a responsibility to make sure that those aren't hoaxes and blatant mm -hmm. misinformation. So that's the approach that we've taken, is we look at, at the, the things that are, that are getting the most distribution. If people have flagged them as potential hoaxes, we send those to fact checkers um, who are all well-reputable and um, and, and have, have followed standard principles for fact-checking. And if those fact-checkers say that, that it is provably false, um, then we will significantly reduce the distribution right. um, of that content. And if someone... So you, is you move them down the line rather yeah, than get it, rid of them. In newsfeed. Why don't yeah. you want to just say, get off our platform? Well, look, as abhorrent as some of this content can be, I do think that it gets down to this principle of giving people a voice. Even if it's a hoax? Yeah, I mean, it's... It, it, at some level, it's hard to always have a clear line between. Uh, no, I'm not defending any specific content here, mm -hmm. and, and I think a lot of the content that's that's at play is 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 terrible. And I mm -hmm. think when you get into discussions around free speech, you're often, mm -hmm. um, you know, talking at the margins of content that is terrible and and what should, um, in, but defending people's right to say things even if they they can be bad, but. Sorry, I lost my so, train of thought here. Where, 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 there's where a difference between offensive and hoaxes. And oh, yeah. Infowars. Yes. I want you to make a case for taking Infowars off if you were on the other side of it. I mean, I think if you were trying to argue on the side of, of basically that the core principle of keeping the community safe, mm -hmm. I think you would try to argue that the content is somehow attacking people or is creating an unsafe environment. Now, let me give, you an, let me give you an example right. of where um, we would take it down. Mm -hmm. So in Myanmar or Sri Lanka, where there's a history of sectarian violence, right. you know, similar to the, the tradition in the U.S. where you can't go into a movie theater and yell fire because mm -hmm. that creates an imminent harm, um, you know, there are definite examples of people sharing images that are taken out of context that are false, that are specifically used to induce people to violence in those right. areas where there is on, and violence ongoing. has resulted. Yes, so you know we are moving towards the the policy of misinformation that is 
um, aimed at or going to induce violence, we are going to take down. Because that's basically the, the, the principles that we have on what we remove from the service are if it's going to result in real harm, real physical harm, or if you're attacking individuals, then that content shouldn't be on the platform, mm-hmm. right? And there's a lot of categories of that that we can get into. But then there's broad debate. and Okay, Sandy Hook didn't happen is not a debate. It is false. You can't just take that down. I, I agree that it is false. Okay. Um, and, and I also think that going to someone who is a victim mm-hmm. um, of Sandy Hook and telling them, hey, no, you're a liar, mm-hmm. um, that is harassment and we actually will take that down. Mm-hmm. Um, but overall, you know, I mean, let's, let's take this, this a little closer to home, right? Okay. So I'm Jewish mm-hmm. um, and there's a set of people who uh, deny that the Holocaust happened, yes, right? I find that deeply offensive. Mm-hmm. But at the end of the day, I, I don't believe that our platform should take that down because I think that there are things that different people get wrong, um, either... I don't think that they're intentionally getting it wrong, but I think that in they... In the case of a Holocaust um, deniers, they might be, but go ahead. Um, it's, it's hard to yeah. impugn intent um, mm-hmm. and to understand the intent. Mm-hmm. Um, but I just think for as important as some of those examples are, I think the reality is also that um, I get things wrong when I speak publicly. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm sure you do. I'm sure a lot of leaders and, and public figures who we respect do too. And I just don't think that it is the right thing to say we are going to take someone off the platform if they get things wrong um, even multiple times. Right. So what we will do is we'll say, okay, you, you have your page, and if you're, if you're not trying to organize harm against someone um, or attacking someone, then you can put up that content on your page, even if people might disagree with it or, or find it offensive. But that doesn't mean that we have a responsibility to make it widely distributed in newsfeed. I think right. we actually, so to the contrary- So you just say move them, move them down. Versus in Myanmar, where you remove it. Yes. Can I ask you that specific about Myanmar? How did you feel about those killings and the blame that some people put on Facebook? Do you feel responsible for those deaths? I think that we have a responsibility to be doing more. Um, to be doing more there. But I wonder how you felt. Yeah, yes, I, I think we. Ha- I, I think that there's a there's a terrible situation where there's underlying sectarian violence mm-hmm. there uh, and, and, and tension. Um, and it is clearly the responsibility of all of the players who are involved there, right? So um, the government, civil society, the different folks who are involved. Um, and I think that we have an important role g- given the, the platform that we play. So we need to make sure that we, that we do what we need to. And we've significantly ramped up the investment in people who speak Burmese. Mm-hmm. Um, it's often hard from where we sit to identify who are the figures who are promoting hate and what is going to um, which is the content that is going to incite violence. So it's important that we build relationships mm-hmm. with civil society and folks there who can, who can help us identify that. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's not, just, it's not just Myanmar, right? It's also Sri Lanka. Um, so we have a whole effort um, that is a product and, and business um, initiative that is focused on, on these countries that have these crises that are, that are on an ongoing basis. Again, I wonder how you feel. How did you feel when those, that started to happen and the blame was shifted a little bit to Facebook and how Facebook was used as a tool by these people? Look, I want to make sure that our products are used for good. Mm-hmm. At the end of the day, I mean, other people blaming us or not is actually not the thing that right. matters to me. What, what matters to me is how are people using our services and are we uh, acting as a, the force for good that I know we can and have a responsibility to. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's not that every single thing that happens on Facebook is going to be good. I mean, this mm-hmm. is humanity, right? People use 
tools for good and bad. But I think that right. we have a clear responsibility to make sure that the good is amplified and to do everything we can to mitigate the bad. And when you hear that new bad things are happening, um, what kind of responsibility do you feel? I, I'm just really curious. I mean, I'd feel sick to my stomach. I'll, I'll tell you, I, 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 that would be my first thing. I feel sick. To, people died possibly because of something I invented. Um, and, you know, you could do the sort of the old uh, Facebook doesn't kill people, people kill people kind of argument. But what does that make you feel like? Does it, what, what do you do when you see that? What do you do yourself or what do you, what's your emotion? I mean, my emotion is um, feeling a deep sense of responsibility to try to fix the problem. I mean, that's, I don't know that yeah. that's a, um, I think that that's the most productive to stance. do something. So, I mean, look, you can either look at this and say, we should have predicted all of mm -hmm. these issues ahead of time. And some people think that. I tend to think that it is very difficult to predict every single thing. Now, some of these things I think we could have done better on, um, but I, I, I think you're, you're building something from scratch. There, there are going to be... Right. Um, there are going to be challenges that that come up that are things that that we did not foresee. And if we if we foresaw this, I think we we might have um, missed something else. Now that doesn't make it okay, but what I think it means is that our primary responsibility, I, I don't believe, is to foresee every problem before it happens as much as it is to one be, we become aware of something mm -hmm. to do everything we can to address it. So let me give you another example. When when live came up, mm -hmm. um, you know one of the one of the terrible use cases where people were using, there were a small number of, use, uh, of, of uses of this, but people were using it to um, show themselves self-harm or right. there were even a few cases of suicide. Mm -hmm. And we looked at this and we're like, this is terrible, right? I mean, this is not what we want the product to be, to be mm -hmm. used. I mean, this is terrible, right? Mm -hmm. and, and, and if this is happening and we can help prevent it, then we have a responsibility to. So what did we do? We, we took the time to build AI tools um, and to hire a team of 3,000 people to get to be able to respond to those live right. videos within 10 minutes, right? So most content on on Facebook, we try to get to within hours or within a day if right. it comes up. But obviously, if someone's going to harm themselves, you don't have a day or hours. You, you have to get to that quickly. So with all the millions of videos that are posted, um, we had to build this combination of, of an AI system that could flag the content that our reviewers should look at mm -hmm. and then hire a specific team trained and dedicated to that so that way they could... Um, re review all the things very quickly and right. have a very, very low latency. In the last six months, we've been able to help first responders get to more than a thousand people mm -hmm. who needed help quickly because of that effort. So not anticipating it before, did you not see that that would be a thing? I, I, I got into a lively debate with your product managers about it before it was, because you all showed the press before it. And they seemed genuinely surprised when I said, what about murder? What about bullying? What about suicide? What about self-harm? What about this? And they seemed less oriented that to, than towards the positivity of what could happen on the platform. Well, I think some of the cases we were ready for and mm -hmm. some and some we weren't. I mean, mm -hmm. bullying, I think, is, is, is something that we've worked on for a while yeah. and have mm -hmm. ongoing good collaborations with law enforcement and, mm -hmm. and community groups around the world. Um, there's always more to do there, but that's an area where, where I'm, I'm generally proud of the, the work that we've done. Mm -hmm. And yeah, I mean, look, there, I, I think in, on any of these given things, someone will have thought of it in advance. Mm -hmm. um, but I think that we should be judged by when we become aware of an issue. How quickly you how, how do we respond and do we get it right? And is it a repeat thing? Mm -hmm. the, the thing that I, in running a company, if you want to be innovative and advance things forward, 
I think you have to be willing to get some things wrong, mm -hmm. but I don't think it is acceptable to get things, to get the same things wrong over and over again. Absolutely. But I mean, but you're coming from a different case when you get things wrong. I don't want to say people die, but people suffer. People can suffer in a different way than if I get something wrong or other people do. I mean, the, the vast amount of responsibility that you have is, I think... Yeah, I would just, I would just say that on the flip side, mm -hmm. that if we don't move forward, mm -hmm. a lot of good that should happen won't happen either. And it's hard to know what the moral equivalence of those things is mm -hmm. um, because a lot of the good is diffuse and, and not things that, that get in the news. But I, mean, I can't tell you how many times I, I walk down the street in some city and people come up and say mm -hmm. that they got married because of Facebook. Mm -hmm. They point to their kids and they're like, yeah. I have this kid because of Facebook. Um, you know, people have stories about how the communities that they form on Facebook are the most meaningful thing in their life that mm -hmm. got them out of bad situations that they were in. And I think if you don't move forward, you lose all that stuff too. So there's, I mean, these are hard trade-offs. Um, and, and certainly I don't think that, um, you know, we, we retired, move fast and break things many years ago because yeah. we didn't think that that was serving our, the community as well as, as, as it had originally. But I do think that there is a benefit and virtue to continue making progress. And I think with progress mm -hmm. means that you get some things wrong. And I think that what, what our responsibility to do is accept when we get things wrong and not be in denial about it, mm -hmm. um, which sometimes we can be too slow on. But in general, I think if we mess something up, we better damn well make sure we don't make that same mistake again if it's, right. if it's a serious thing. So across elections and all this different stuff, it's, yeah, we need to make sure that we're on top of these Do you regret issues. the move fast and break things? Because a lot of, I mean, I make the joke, you broke enough things, now fix them kind of idea. Do you regret that motto? I mean, I think it is certainly used today as a symbol. It's, it's used in a way that isn't what I meant, okay. right? So the notion up front was that, was not about social impact. It was about writing code in the mm -hmm. service. And mm -hmm. um, and the idea is that by moving faster, we can serve more people with something that a lot of people really wanted. And actually, you know, so it's CZI, Chan Zuckerberg mm -hmm. Initiative. Mm -hmm. We've kind of adapted that value. Instead of move fast, we call it learn fast. Okay. And that's really the spirit of it more, I think, is that the, the idea is you can either try to get everything right up front which I think has a, has a high cost to making progress and serving people. Mm -hmm. Or you can believe that we're not going to get everything right up front, but by moving forward, we will learn more. Mm -hmm. um, and that will make it so that the second and third version of what we do is better. And I really believe that that is the right way to run a company. I think you, companies need to be learning organisms. Um, more than any specific product strategy that we have, our strategy as a company is to learn as quickly as we can how to serve our community. And I think you only do that by being out in the world, by talking to people, by running experiments and, and by trying out things that you're not sure are going to be good to see how, how people use them. I think that that is our responsibility is to learn as quickly as we can as an organization. So if it's and learn that's really fast, the, that's what's the, the second thing? What do you do with things? What do you mean? Well, learn fast rather than move fast. What's... What happens to well, break the value things? is always move fast. Right. It was not. It wasn't. What happens to the break part? Well, the the point there was I think values are only worth what you're willing to give up for them. Mm -hmm. And you know, so a lot of a lot of companies have values that are like be nice. It's mm -hmm. like okay, well, that's fine. Be nice, but mm -hmm. that's good. You, you should. Mm -hmm. But um, but the real question is like, what are what are you willing to 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 give up? Um, so I don't think you can just tell a company move fast. The question mm -hmm. is, what are you willing to tolerate? Mm -hmm. And what we were willing to tolerate early on was um, 
more bugs in the product, mm-hmm. right? Not not having the product do something completely different, but like if there were a few errors in the in the code and it wasn't fully polished, we generally thought that learning quicker and serving people who who wanted the product um, was more important than having it be completely bug free. Mm-hmm. Now, what we realized was we were getting to a point uh, that we were accumulating so many bugs that having to go back and fix all the bugs after the fact of having launched them was actually net slowing us down and, mm-hmm. and making it so it actually became not an effective way to move forward. So we we changed the motto to uh, what is now the much less sexy version of move fast with stable infrastructure, mm-hmm. where mm-hmm. The, the current strategy for moving fast is to invest disproportionately in infrastructure and abstractions so that any given engineer um, could either go work at their at a startup or their own company, or they can come here and I think be much more productive because they're building on top of all of this these great systems that have been built. But either way, you know, I don't think you can just say move fast. Mm-hmm. Um, the question is, what are you willing to give up? And in, in our case now, um, what we're willing to give up is a meaningful portion of our engineering team working on great infrastructure and abstractions to help everyone else move forward mm-hmm. when those people could otherwise be working on serving people directly. Yeah. I still think that that's the right strategy because I mm-hmm. think learning fast is the core of what we need to be doing. We're going to take a quick break now. We'll be back in a minute with Facebook CEO, Mark Zuckerberg. Today's show is brought to you by ExpressVPN. With the recent news about online security breaches, it's hard not to worry about where my data goes. Making an online purchase or simply accessing your email could put your private information at risk. You're being tracked online by social media sites, marketing companies, and your mobile or internet provider. Not only can they record your browsing history, but they often sell it to other corporations who want to profit from your information. That's why I decided to take my privacy back by using ExpressVPN. ExpressVPN secures and anonymizes your internet browsing by encrypting your data and hiding your public IP address. Protecting yourself with ExpressVPN costs less than $7 per month. So if you ever use public Wi-Fi and want to keep hackers and spies from seeing your data, ExpressVPN is the solution. Protect your online activity today and find out how you can get three free months at expressvpn.com slash decode. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N.com slash decode for three months free with a one-year package. Visit expressvpn.com slash decode to learn more. Hey, Recode Decode fans, here's something cool. This show has been nominated for the People's Choice Podcast Awards. You can vote for our show by going to podcastawards.com, and we'll also put a link to that in the show notes. Listener nominations are open until Tuesday, July 31st, so don't wait. Go to podcastawards.com to cast your vote for Recode Decode, hosted by Kara Swisher. That's me. Thanks. So I want to finish up on news by talking about the, sort of what's going on today um, with conservatives versus liberals. How do you feel with the allegations from conservatives that there's not enough conservative that conservative voices are? Sh- I hear it all the time from they, they, yeah they get they get shadowed either on Twitter or on Facebook or they're that you that you're out to not allow conservative voices to speak up. And on the other side, others think that you do that you're you're, you're bending over backwards to to serve. A conservative constituency. Mm-hmm. I don't think you can win anyway, but well, I think it gets back to the core principles here. So it's actually the same core principles we discussed before: giving people a voice uh, on the one hand, and keeping the community and people safe on the other hand. And um, our bias tends to be to want to give people a voice and and let people express a wide range of opinions. I don't think that's a, a liberal or conservative thing. Um, mm-hmm. Those are the well, words in the U.S. Silicon it's, Valley issue. Um, it's a 
Yeah, but I mean, that's we think that that is a is a virtue. Um, you know, interestingly, I think for most of the history of the company, I think a lot of people agreed that that was a virtue. I think mm-hmm. recently, um, a lot of people maybe just more focused on some of the negatives that can come with with mm-hmm. people widely having a voice. But I think that's become a more unpopular belief in the last few years that mm-hmm. that giving people a voice is good. Um, but we still believe it. I mm-hmm. think that you you see a lot of good around the world um, come from that, and and I think that um, we will eventually come around to that as well in 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 the U.S. broadly. Mm-hmm. How, but, what is your political leanings? Do you have them? I care about specific issues very mm-hmm. deeply, and I'm not sure that aligns with any kind of specific things. So, I mean, I, I'm I'm very outspoken on immigration reform. Mm-hmm. I mean, mm-hmm. in, in 2013. Um, I helped start with a number yeah. of entrepreneurs here mm-hmm. forward. Uh, us, which is a, a group working on immigration reform that I think recognizes um, that we need to secure the border and and enforce laws, but that also um, understands that the benefits of of immigration, um, both to the country and the economy, and as a humane. Um, civil rights issue for the 11 million people who are undocumented here is incredibly important. Mm-hmm. I mean, I've, I've, How did you feel about the border uh, separations? Uh, it's terrible. Yeah, terrible. What did you do? Did you do anything besides donate money or stuff like yeah, that? Yeah, well, I mean, well, the good news here is because we've been working on Forward for so long, it has established a lot of the infrastructure that... Mm-hmm. Um, that now when you get a crisis comes up, you, you can't just spin the stuff up immediately. So mm-hmm. they're in there and are able to help out. Um, but I mean, talking about social utility, I mean, one of the the really proud moments recently of, of working at this company was the fact that a couple of people could- The Wilners, I had yeah, start, on the podcast. Yeah, they're great. They start a fundraiser to raise $1,500, enough to mm-hmm. bail one person out. Uh, and they ended up raising more than $20 million. And this thing just went viral, and I think it's a great example of, um, of, of when you give people a voice, what positive things can, mm-hmm. can happen, and um, both substantively in terms of uh, the fundraiser and just the widespread show of support, I think, is also really meaningful. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, um, and I think a combination of that and a number of other things like that um, may have been what led the administration to to backtrack on on the policy there. Yeah, possibly, possibly. So let's get into the idea of privacy and data. How do you assess your performance in front of Congress? It was well, a low, it was a low bar, Mark. They didn't do a very good job. That's my opinion. But you thought I didn't do a very good job? I thought you job? did, but I, I only thought it's because they did such a bad job. Well, look, I, I think a lot of people think fine. about this from a gamesmanship perspective mm-hmm. of like someone's winning and someone's losing. right. I, I tried not politics, to. I tried not to. Yeah. Okay. And maybe, maybe I'm 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 too idealistic still. Mm-hmm. But I tend to come at this from the perspective of we have a duty to the country to provide as much context as we can about the set of issues that we see. And in general, I was impressed at how many of the the people there. Um, both, I think, had had a handle on on a lot of the issues, okay. um, and I think genuinely were trying to understand them. Mm-hmm. Um, and some of the questions I thought were really um, were really hard. And, and which one? And which one? Which one? Um, I thought on the second day, I thought um, uh, Congressman Kennedy's questions second day was better yeah. um, around 
you know, I mean, it's, I mean, he asked them respectfully, but they were very hard questions mm-hmm. around, um, around who owns the data and how is it going to be used. And, um, and to me, that just got to the heart of why processes like that are important. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so my, I didn't feel like my responsibility there was to show up and, and win. Mm-hmm. I, I was trying to, you know, oh, I, I wasn't thinking I, it was I'm, a winning thing. A, I thought the questions yeah. were not I'm, very I'm, illuminating. A, that's all. I'm there as a witness who hopefully understands some relevant context mm-hmm. um, on an issue of importance to the nation. Uh, and I view my responsibility as making sure that they can get as much information as they need to in order to inform what they need to go do. Yeah. You know, now, you know, whether it's you know, the cooperation that we have with the Mueller investigation mm-hmm. or areas like this where there's mm-hmm. hearings about election interference or um, or the data privacy issues. These are broader issues and we're a player in them, but there's a much bigger picture here mm-hmm. as well. And we don't have the full context of that. So uh, I think to the extent that we, our responsibility is to do everything we can to prevent these issues on our surface and to make sure that the people who, whose job it is is to have the full context across everything, have whatever information we we can provide. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, like you saw with the, uh, the um, the Mueller indictments recently, it's you know I think some of that context probably initially came from us, but then they had to go build on that for years in terms mm-hmm. of putting together the whole the whole story and do very significant work on top of that. But if we can help out in ways like that, then I then I feel good about our contribution. You, but you, have you given them full activity of the Russians on your platform? Have you given the investigation full access to that data? Um. I'm not sure what that means. I mean, in general, I think the way this works is they they ask a, they ask a set of questions and we go and do investigations and turn up whatever we find. Okay. In the back to the hearings, one of the things I think I'm not saying it's a it's a win lose thing. I think they were they did not press you very hard on certain issues. One of them that you kept saying uh, two two areas. One is what you guys do with the data. One was the part related to Cambridge Analytica, which is what happened there, mm-hmm. um, which I think is still, you're still investigating, it's still being investigated by authorities and how it happened. Um, and your, um, in that case, your defense was, we didn't see it, but once we saw it, we did something about it. What I would have asked is, why didn't you see it? Mm-hmm. What's the problem in your, with this data that you did not see it being misused? Because I was at your 2009 or 2008. I remember mm-hmm. when you were talking about mm-hmm. this idea. Yeah, so the principles at play here are on the one hand, you want people to have control over their information and be able to, and to, be able to and bring it, it out of Facebook right. Right, to, other, to right. other different apps um, because we're not going to build all of the social experiences and it should be easy for people to use their data anywhere. But on the other hand, if they have that information in Facebook and the developer has some relationship with us, then we also have a responsibility to protect people and, and keep people safe. And what happened here was a developer built a quiz app, and then they turned around and sold the data that people gave them um, to someone else. And that is, I mean, clearly against all of the policies that we have. I mean, that's terrible, right? I mean, we don't sell data. We don't allow anyone to sell data um, because it was on their servers. We um, we don't necessarily see that that transaction or whatever they're but doing. But you have in the past caught people doing this and been much more rigorous in that. Well, we find, so we do a number of things. One is we do ongoing audits and we have built technical systems to see if, if a developer is requesting information in weird ways. Mm-hmm. We do spot checks um, where we can audit developer servers. 
But a lot of the stuff comes from flags that either people in the community or law enforcement or different folks sent us. And that was actually similar here too. I think it was the Guardian mm-hmm. who initially pointed out to us, hey, um, we think that that this developer, um, Alexander Kogan, um, has sold information. And when we when we learned about that, um, you know, we immediately shut down the app, took away his profile, and demanded certification that the data was deleted. Now, the thing that I think in retrospect that we really messed up here is that we believed the certification. Now, normally, I don't know about you, but when someone writes a, a legal certification, mm-hmm. um, my inclination is to believe that. But in retrospect, I think no. it's very clear. You, you don't? No, I don't believe anybody. All right, well, that's... Um, there's an expression in journalism, if your mother says she loves you, check it, but go ahead. All right, that's fair. <laughs> okay. I, I tend to have more faith in the rule of law. And I think but, the links between um, Peter on your board and the Bannon, and it, was, it, it creates a really bad situation for you all, it, or suspect at least leads to people wondering what was happening there. All right, He's well, I don't, I don't think there's any yeah. suggestion that that stuff was No, but I'm here, just but, saying, but it just think, creates a, what the heck was going on here. Yeah, I, I think in retrospect, you know, we didn't know what Cambridge Analytica was there. It didn't strike us as a sketchy thing. They, we just had no history with them. Um, knowing what I know now, we obviously would not have just taken their certification at, at its word mm-hmm. and would have gone in and done an audit then. All right, um, and now, the, so now we're basically doing this. Now our policy is we are not just going to take developers at their word when they say that they aren't misusing information. We're going to go and audit every single developer who had a large amount of access to people's information before we mm-hmm. significantly locked down the amount of access that developers could get um, starting back in 2014. Should someone have been fired for this? You know, I asked Cheryl this. I'm just curious if you what you think. Well, I think it's a big issue, but look, I designed the platform. Mm-hmm. So if someone's going to get fired for this, it should be me. And I think that the important thing going forward is to make sure that we get this right. Um, in this case, the most important steps in terms of to prevent this from happening again, we'd already taken in 2014 when mm-hmm. we had changed dramatically the way that the platform worked. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I mean, overall, I mean, this is this is an important situation, and I think again, it's um, this to me is an example of you get judged by how you deal with an issue when it comes up, mm-hmm. um, and I, I think on this one we've done the right things and many of them I think we'd actually done years ago to prevent this kind of situation from mm-hmm. happening again. But to be clear, you're not going to fire yourself right now, is that right? Not on this podcast Okay, right all right, now. Well, that would be fantastic. <laughs> um, uh, I mean, I think you'll do okay. Um, so let's get to the, the the privacy and data part of it. One of the things you kept saying in Congress, which really drove me crazy because you said it like, tw- I counted Do you really it. want me to fire myself right now? Sure, uh, it's just, fine. Just for the news? Yeah, why not? <laughs> oh. <laughs> Whatever, Mark. Whatever works for you. No, um, I think so, we should do what's um, what's going to be right for the community. So all right. I, okay. I, I, all right. Well, I'll get to whether regulation in a second. But for, I have two two more sections, and then you'll be out of here. Um, one is you kept saying, Senator, we don't sell your data. Senator, we don't sell your data. You kind of sell people's data in a different way by marrying it with other data. You sell insights into that data. You sell your whole business is predicated on using data to make money. Why did you keep saying that? I mean, technically you're correct, but... Well, I think facts do matter. Yes, I know, but you don't technically sell their data, but you you use their data to sell advertising 
So you are in a in essence. What are you doing with people's data? How well, would you I, describe it? I, it bothers me when reputable news outlets mm-hmm. make claims like saying that we sell data because like it to is Procter just, and Gamble because it's just not true. Right. Right. Okay. We, we don't sell data now. I, I understand what you're saying. There's the business model works in basically in two ways. One is um, people have attention from from being on the service, which mm-hmm. is no different from. Um, the ads you'll run during this podcast right. or um, traditional TV ads for the last you know, 50 years. But there is an element of targeting, which is that because we understand what you're interested in, um, we can show you more relevant ads to you. Mm-hmm. And people overall, people want to know that their information is secure and that if they give it to you, they want you to use it to make their experience good, but they don't want you to give it to other people. Mm-hmm. So while it may seem like a small difference to you, this distinction mm-hmm. on on selling data, I actually think to people it's like the whole game, right? So we don't sell data. We don't give the data to anyone else. But overwhelmingly, people do tell us that if they're going to see ads on Facebook, they want the ads to be relevant. They don't want bad ads. Mm-hmm. So uh, they want us to... to uh, use what they're browsing on Facebook and what they've clicked on, what they've told us that they like um, in order to show them more relevant apps. Do they still know enough about what they're opting into? Someone recently uh, called you to me a greedy information hoarder, essentially, that you hoard this information Let me give you you one example that I think is is interesting. During the GDPR flows and and rolling that out, Mm -hmm. one of the specific things that we needed to do was get specific opt-in permission from people to use information um, from the websites that they used and apps um, in order to help target ads. Mm -hmm. And the vast, vast majority of people chose explicitly to opt into that, Mm -hmm. which goes in line with everything that I've seen on, on the research from what people want, which is that when faced with the decision of do you want more relevant ads or less relevant ads if you're going to see ads? Um, people want better ads. Not everyone. I mean, some percent mm-hmm. of people said no, but uh, the overwhelming majority of people say yes. And I think that that's just an important thing to, to Right. Do you think people understand how much information you have on them? It's a different factor than ever before in history, how much information you know about people. Maybe, although uh, uh, may, I think most people actually on a service like Facebook or Instagram probably have a greater awareness of the information that's there um, than on a lot of other services because in our case you actually put it there mm-hmm. right I mean you 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 told us that yeah. you like that thing or you posted that photo or or said that so I, I actually think people generally have an awareness mm-hmm. and feel like wow these networks have a lot of information. Um, the areas that, that I would actually worry about more for consumers are places where they don't realize that services are collecting a lot of information about mm-hmm. them, but actually are. Um, so that's a whole, a like whole different who? thing. Who? Well, a lot of other folks online. Such as? I mean, th- there's the whole industry of um, of data brokers, for example, mm-hmm. who we've you know, recently made the to. decision yeah, that but uh, we don't want to be, be in business there. Right. Um, no, I mean, we, we never were a data broker, but we used to let advertisers yeah, marry use the, data marry brokers. The data. And we decided, um, no, we think that this is is not a good thing. Why so did that happen? That Why did you suddenly come to that realization? Well, I think um, around the time of the Cambridge Analytica issue, mm-hmm. we realized that we needed to do a full audit, not just of that specific issue, but across all the platform, uh, uh, like everything that was going on, um, 
where was data coming into the system? Where um, might people's data be going out? And and every case of that, do people understand what is going on? And we just made a series of decisions. They were like, no, we think that um, given where uh, how we view our responsibility and where the world is. This is no longer the right thing. We should not do this. We should not do this. Mm-hmm. Um, this we should change or communicate differently. And we did a series of actions around that. And this was one of them. Okay. So let me finish up about you, but I do want to ask one more thing in this area, regulation. How much do you think is coming from if the Democrats get back in power? They've gotten rather hostile towards you and Google, it seems. Well, I think you're too focused on the U.S., Okay, right. across I mean, the world. So Do you see regulation being, obviously Europe is a place where there's much more regulation happening and more activity. Do you yeah, see it? so there's lots of different areas for this. The, the area that I think is most likely is content. Mm-hmm. Right, so the U.S. has a very rich tradition of free speech. It's right. written into the Constitution, free mm-hmm. speech. So here we, we have a very strong allergic reaction to trying to regulate that. Mm-hmm. But in, in almost every other country in the world, while people generally want as much expression as possible, there's some notion that something else might be more important than speech. So preventing mm-hmm. right. hate or um, terrorism, or or pri- or just different, different things. Um, so you're already starting to see this. I mean, there, there was the hate speech law in Germany. Um, I think that there will be additional laws creating responsibility for um, for social networking and social companies and internet companies overall um, to be more proactive in policing terrorism or bullying or hate speech or different kinds of content. And overall, I think that there are good and bad ways to do that. But my general take is that a lot of that stuff can be pretty reasonable. I mean, I think we're not um, we're not kids in a dorm room anymore, mm-hmm. right? So when, no, that's a when, long ago, when we were... No, I mean, but when back then... If, if someone had said, you need to make sure that you're going to give people a voice, but you need to make sure that it's not used to spread hate speech, the best you could do is get the community to flag things for you and mm-hmm. hope to review them yourself. But now, you know, we're a big company. AI technology has advanced significantly. Um, we're at a point now where we've built AI tools to, um, to detect when terrorists are trying to spread content. And 99% of the terrorist content that we take down our systems flag before any human sees them or flags them for us. And we can afford at this point to have 20,000 people reviewing the content. So mm-hmm. um, so I think at, at the point where you have that kind of AI technology and you have the resources to be able to um, employ people to do that kind of content review, I kind of think you have a responsibility to do it. Okay, so um, you can handle regulation. What about the call? There's been some calls to break up companies like Facebook or Amazon that have become too big. Are you in fear of that in any way? You know, I think that there's, it's a, it's a very interesting debate overall. You know, if you, if you actually get down to why we're big, it's not, in the traditional sense, we're not big because we're so big in the United States. Mm-hmm. Although, although we are, and a lot of people use our products here. Mm-hmm. If, if we weren't an international company, if, if you just, if you said, okay, you have to shut mm-hmm. down all of your services outside of the US, mm-hmm. we actually would not be, very profitable at all. Mm-hmm. Um, and we, we actually would probably be unprofitable. So the, the reason why um, we are a successful and large company is because we have built something here that can now serve billions of people around the world as well, uh, which is actually where all the margin comes from mm-hmm. um, in, in terms of, I mean, we have the cost structure that we have and then you're, and then that's, that's where the, the business comes from. And, um, 
Don't get me wrong. There's a lot of revenue in the United States as well, but mm-hmm. but um, but that would barely cover the cost of the company. So I think you have this question from a policy perspective, mm-hmm. which is, do we want American companies to be exporting um, across the world? And it's you know we grew up here. I think we share a lot of a lot of values that um, that I think people hold very dear here. And I think it's generally very good for um, very good that that we're doing this, both for security reasons um, and from a values perspective. Because I think that the alternative, frankly, is um, is going to be the Chinese companies. Yeah. Right? So if, if we adopt a stance which is that, okay, we're going to, as, as a country, decide that we want to clip the wings of these companies and make it so that um, it's harder for them to operate in different places um, or they have, to be, they have to be smaller, then... There are plenty of other companies out there that are willing and and able to um, to take the place of the work that the we're Chinese doing. Chinese companies, yeah, and they do not share the values that we have. Mm-hmm. And um, and I think you can bet that you know if the government here is worried about you know, whether it's election interference or terrorism, I, I, I don't think Chinese companies are going to uh, want to cooperate as much and, mm-hmm. and try to um, aid the, the the national interest there. What is your situation in China now? I mean, we're we're blocked. And are you are you working on moving Facebook products in there? Over the long term, I think it's hard to have a mission of wanting to bring the whole world closer together and leave out the biggest country. And what will that take? I don't know. I mean, I think that that's. You went. Um, you jogged in Tiananmen Square. What What else could you do? I actually I thought that that was interesting that that got so much pickup. That you're right. Oh, come I, on. I, I'm right on that one. That you're right. You can't jog in Tiananmen Square, Mark. You can't. It looks it looks like you're cooperating with the Chinese government. We're going to argue about that forever. Fine. Well, I, I, I mean, that year I posted photos of me right. um, running everywhere, including uh, Delhi, which has, air, which has worse air I know quality. you were 12, um, but, but there was um, a guy with a anyhow. tank and a briefcase in that square when you were 12, and it was problematic. Okay. Just, well, I'm not going to defend argue. No. The, that. But um, Where are you with China? I, I mean, we're, I, I think, a long time away from, from doing anything. Okay. I mean, at it's, it's some point, I think that we, we need to figure it out. Um, but we need to figure out a solution that is in line with our principles of what we want to do mm-hmm. um, and in line with the laws there or else it's not going to happen. Um, and right now there isn't an intersection. We're going to take another break now. We'll be back after this with Mark Zuckerberg, the CEO of Facebook. Today's show is brought to you by TransferWise. Do you ever need to send money internationally? Sure, your bank or PayPal can get your money from A to B, but that transfer will cost you more than it should, a lot more. That's the old way of doing things. Let me tell you about the new, smarter, and cheaper way to send money internationally, TransferWise. TransferWise was founded by two friends, Tobit and Christo, who were frustrated by their bank's bad exchange rates and high fees. They wondered, what if we could bypass the banks entirely? So they built TransferWise. That was seven years ago. Today, more than two million people use TransferWise. People sending money home, businesses paying suppliers, freelancers getting paid, the list goes on. TransferWise's clever new technology gives you a great exchange rate and a low fee. So it'll put some extra money in your pocket for more important things. No one has ever said it's important that my bank get some extra money. Test it out for free at transferwise.com slash podcast or download the app. Once again, that's transferwise.com slash podcast. It's the wise way to send money. 
I'd also like to tell you about my other podcast, Too Embarrassed to Ask. Every week, we answer your questions about consumer tech and the week's news. This week, I talked to Christo Wilson and David Choffness from Northeastern University. Christo and Dave, what did we talk about? Well, we discussed that most apps aren't watching you, but there's a couple that are actually just recording everything and sending it to third parties. Yeah, the fear that your app is listening to you all the time uh, or that it's, it's watching you via the camera. We can't say that's true for most apps, but we did find some other behavior in terms of them watching what you do on the screen that in some sense might be even more dangerous. Yes, these are two professors who largely debunk the conspiracy theory online that your phone is always listening to you for ad purposes. Anyway, you can find Too Embarrassed to Ask on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. That's Too Embarrassed to Ask. See you there. All right, I want to finish up just talking about you. We just have a few more minutes. Um, this is an issue I've talked about a lot is Silicon Valley responsibility and taking responsibility and taking responsibility for dark things and, and not being quite as optimistic. And a lot of people here have a problem with looking at that. Um, how do you look at your responsibility as a leader of a massive company with enormous power? Do you think you grok that at this point? Sometimes I don't think you do. I really don't. Well, I think we have a responsibility to to build the things that give people a voice and help people connect and help people build community, which ultimately is the unique thing that we do in the world. Um, so that, I think, is one important piece of it. But then on the other hand, I think we also have a responsibility to recognize that the tools won't always be used for good things, and we need to be there and be ready to mitigate all the negative uses. So whether that's um, terrorism or people thinking about self-harm or suicide who we need to go make sure that they get help quickly or bullying or election interference or fake news. And the list goes on, and there's there's a lot of these things. Um, and there are very specific pieces of work that we have to do on each. So, I mean, just take terrorism, for example. We have a team of more than 200 people working on counterterrorism. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's that's pretty intense, mm -hmm. right? For That's not like what people think about what no, Facebook is. I'm sure when you were an engineer, you weren't thinking this was your... So look, I do think that there will be things that we get wrong in the future too. But I think to say that we don't care about what's going on or mitigating um, any of the downsides of what people do, I don't think is right. Mm -hmm. um, and I think to say that that is the only thing that we should be focused on, I think also is not quite right because I think that what most people out there want is um, is, is the ability to stay connected with the people that they love mm -hmm. and, um, and to be able to join communities because that's an important part of people's lives. And if we're not making progress on that and advancing the ball forward there too, then I also don't think we're doing our job. What about the image of Facebook? It's not great right now. Would you agree with that or... Sort of uh, not yeah, it's not as good as it's been. Yeah. How does that feel personally? I mean, personally, my take on this is that for the last 10 or 15 years, we have gotten mostly glowing and adoring attention from people. And if people want to focus on some real issues for a couple of years, I'm fine with it. Mm -hmm. And frankly, I think that the news industry um, is critically important because it points out things and surfaces, mm -hmm. um, and surfaces truths that can often be uncomfortable. And I think that that's working and the spotlight has been pointed on things that we have a responsibility to do better. And I accept that. And while it may not be the most fun period of running the company, I think we take the responsibility really seriously and, and get that in the grand scheme of things, like, I don't think people are being unfair to us. I think, mm -hmm. um, you know, that's 
people have been very positive and have focused on all the good that come with the technology for a long period of time. Mm-hmm. And if it's you know to have a period where people focus on some of the negative uses, so to make sure that we that we fully understand that, I think is completely reasonable. What about you personally? How does that feel? Because it's a lot of it's directed at you. Yeah, I mean, I think that that is my personal take. I think it's um, it's okay. Mark is okay. Like, is that what you? I, mean, I don't. Is it, you accept the responsibility of the criticism? Is what you're saying? Yeah, I also just think you need to put all this in perspective, mm-hmm. right? It's if you look at what people have said about Facebook and how much they love the brand and the products over a ten year period. I mean, most of the coverage and what people say is super positive. If mm-hmm. we're if there's going to be a period of two years where we frankly didn't handle a bunch of things as well as we should have mm-hmm. and need to get back on top of it, then you know, I mean, you're not going to cry about that. You're mm-hmm. going to do what you need to to make it good. Mm-hmm. So what do you do to not cry about it? What do you mean? Well, if I got this much criticism, I think I'd feel a lot of pressure. I'd feel a lot of pressure. Well, having feeling pressure is different from being sad. I, yeah. I think that... Oh, I don't um, think you should be sad necessarily. Yeah, I, I, I think mean, you've got a pretty good look, life. Look, I, I think... So what if we... we sit down and say, all right, we, we have to go do this, well, right? And you might be more self-reflective. Most people in Silicon Valley aren't self-reflective. Like you might go, what did I do? What have I done? And what should I do better in the future? I, I think most people, that's, that yeah, would be I, but an I think adult at, response. At a, at a institutional level, I think making sure that we put appropriate focus on these mm-hmm. things is, um, is, is really important. So what's your goal this year? You have these goals. This is, this year's fixed Facebook. You did the, you did the, Visit uh-huh. every cow in America tour last year. What is your personal goal this year, away from fixing Facebook? I, I mean that that is. The, I think that the the feeling this year is that, you know, I've I've done these personal challenges because yeah. I think running a company can be an all-consuming thing, mm-hmm. and I think in order to have a broader perspective, you want to do things outside of that too. Mm-hmm. So whether that's running or learning Mandarin mm-hmm. um, or visiting different places or coding an AI to run my home. Mm-hmm. Um, I think those are all good things. This year, I, I just think the that AI we are to so... run your home, but okay. All right. What's okay. up? I miss the AI running your home, but go ahead. All what right. do you mean? I, I miss that. Jarvis. Goal. Oh, Jarvis. Uh, yeah, yeah that's right. That. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, that was fun. Okay. That was fun. <laughs> but, you know, this year, I, I think we have, we have a number of issues that we need to deal with, mm-hmm. and it didn't feel right to me mm-hmm. to to focus on something else outside. I think that this is an interesting enough, um, this is an important challenge that, that I think we need to dedicate every fiber of what we're doing to, to making sure that we get this right. How long does that um, last? What, this focus? Mm-hmm. You know, I think it'll take about three years to fully retool um, everything at Facebook to be on top of all of the content issues um, and security issues. But the good news is we're about a year and a half in. Mm-hmm. Um, I do think that by the end of this year, we'll have significantly turned the corner on a lot of these issues. Um, I don't think we're going to be as good as we would like to next year either, um, but I think it'll it'll be close. And then my hope is that by the end of 2019, a lot of the systems will be much more operational and dialed in, which doesn't mean that there aren't going to be errors, right? There are going to be, you know, there are always going to be errors that people say, hey, you, you enforced against this content incorrectly. But I think part of that, means having mature systems like building an appeal process so that way it's not just some representative mm-hmm. somewhere around the world of, of Facebook who makes a decision on your content, but you can appeal that and maybe even appeal it independently over time to to some other, other right. body. But by the end of 2019, I would hope to have all of that in place. And then have some other goal. Do you have any political goals? I know people thought when you did your 
your grand tour of the United States, that was what you were doing with your team of videographers, etc. <laughs> you had a lot of photographers, Mark. They were lovely there's, photos. There's... I went across the United States. I had no photographers with yeah, me. Well, there, there's, we have what? We have, we have one photographer. They were at nice Facebook photos. And Facebook. Yes, right. it's uh, okay. All it's, right. Anyhow. Um, you might imagine why people would wonder if you did doing that. I, I, I understand. I mean, I, I care about helping to address these problems of social cohesion and understanding mm-hmm. what what economic problems people think exist. Right. Um, I tend to think that we all get support from three basic places. Mm-hmm. Our friends and family, the communities we're a part of, and then ultimately the government with its safety net. Mm-hmm. And I think as a society, we spend the vast majority of our time talking about what the government should do in mm-hmm. the political debates. And I think we spend not enough time talking about how important community is. Um, it, so you go around and you, uh, you know, I, 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 mean, I saw um, sit down with ministers in, in places and they talk about not just the religious role that they play, mm-hmm. right, as a religious organization, but as a community organization. So, yeah. you know, one minister told me that he knew that when a factory closed down in town, um, he was going to be seeing more couples for couples counseling a few right. weeks later because of the tension. All right, that that's a real piece of social infrastructure mm-hmm. that needs to exist. Um, and, and if people aren't a part of those kind of organizations, then there's a core need that people have that is not being fulfilled. Um, you know, you go to military bases and you meet um, the spouses of, of people who get deployed in different places. And, and they told me that, the core part of their social infrastructure are these Facebook groups where every time they get deployed, they go, they go join the group um, of, of military families around that base and figure out um, what school they should send their kid to, what services locally they should use. And that is like how they got rooted and how they get, they get established in a community. And it's not just a group that's online. It spans online and offline um, meeting real people. I mean, I sat down with kids in Chicago um, at a school where a lot of kids were in gangs. And mm-hmm. I mean, they told me the reason why people were in gangs is not because they wanted to be in a gang. They understood that it was dangerous, mm-hmm. but because they needed a sense of community and an dangerous environment, they wanted to know that someone was looking so, after them. So my, my takeaway here is that there is a real issue, which is that people need community support. But if you look at the sociology and, and, and the history here, community membership has actually been on the decline and has been fragmenting for 40 or 50 years, well predating the internet. Mm-hmm. And since the 70s, there are now 25 or 30% of people who are no longer members of groups, whether religious organizations or local organizations or volunteer organizations that they once were. And that strikes me as a real crisis. And it's not just American. I think mm-hmm. it's around the world mm-hmm. um, as well. So that's why we changed our mission last year to not just be about friends and family, which is always going to be a and core part of the I Facebook experience, yeah. but to now be about helping people connect and join those kind of meaningful communities like military spouses or the group for, you know, you have a new kid and um, you join a, a group for new fathers or new mothers. Um, that ends up being a really core part of your social support network or <laughs> you, you, God forbid, come down with a, a rare disease and you need to um, have, have a support group of people who have that, but there are no other people around you who have that. Um, there are about 200 million people on Facebook who are part of what they call these meaningful communities um, for whom upon joining them, that becomes like the defining aspect of their Facebook mm-hmm. and internet experience. And 
one of the most important parts of their real world support structure. Right? Okay. When, when my father had- so, so some people might say the uses of the internet and mobile phones is the reason people are feeling this way well, too. Well, hold on, hold on. Because so the solution to Facebook might not be more Facebook, um, but go ahead. Look, I, I think that this problem clearly predates the internet, let mm-hmm. alone Facebook. Loneliness, so I think, yes, so, the human condition. Well, and the decline of community. Yeah. So I, I think putting that all on the internet seems unlikely. I get, I get that. Um, I, get that. I, I also... I think it's clear that not all the uses are going to be good. So I mean, mm-hmm. so I'm not I'm not trying to say yeah. that it's all good. Right. Um, so, but so I think that it can largely be th- good. Let me hurry up here. So community is needed. Does that mean you don't want to run, or do you want to be Oprah? Or what's what is your? Oh goal? no, sorry, I didn't realize we were still. <laughs> yes, on that. I'm still. I, you didn't um, answer it. But well done. No, no. Look, I mean, uh, we have a five year goal mm-hmm. of helping a billion people join communities that are meaningful like that. Okay, that's and if we and if we do that, mm-hmm. um, then I think that we will have played a role in reversing this many decades long trend of, of people not being groups. parts of communities. Right. I happen to think that we as a society do not spend enough time thinking about communities and the importance versus of government. them versus what government. Governments are extremely important. There are things right. that only governments can do. Safety net is extremely important. Right. Um, but I mean, that's not me. Right? I mean, I'm, I mean I'm, that's not like the thing that I'm here to do. Um, I can help build communities and connect people. I do think right. that um, that that's an area where where I have unique insights and and, and abilities that that I can help people do. So that's what I care about. Right, but I, I think that's really two, important. Two more quick questions before I know I have to go. Is one is who do you look up to? Do you look up to other internet people, Elon Musk, or Jeff Bezos, or is it just like an ultra male competition between and among you? Well, what, who do, who is your mentor? Would you um, say? Well, I think that there are there are a couple. Bill Gates has always been a mentor and inspiration for me, even mm-hmm. before I knew him. Just growing mm-hmm. up, I I admired how Microsoft was mission focused. Right, it wasn't. Um, it was a company that had a clear social goal, or right? that it wanted to um, to put to to make. They thought that computers were going to be valuable, and having that become ubiquitous, it was kind of like an Apollo like goal to me. That that always struck me as is really mm-hmm. nice. And then I think his second act of going and Doing being one of the world's greatest philanthropists has, has absolutely yeah. influenced me, um, not only to try to follow in his footsteps and do something hopefully one day that will be as mm-hmm. impactful as what, what he has done, but his lesson there um, that you have to start early to practice, right? Like anything that you want to get good at, mm-hmm. you don't just show up one day and like can effectively and, and efficiently give money away. Um, so the notion that if I want to be really good at this 10 or 15 years from now, then Priscilla and I really need to be starting to work on this now. Um, so he has had, he and Melinda, and, and Melinda has increasingly really been a role model for us as well, just have, have, have really had a, had a deeply influenced the way that I think about both work and, and philanthropy. But one of the things that I'd say that I'm really lucky is that a lot of the people who I look up to the most, I get to work with every day. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think Cheryl is amazing, right? Mm-hmm. A lot of what I know about, um, about business and building organizations and, and leadership come from working with her. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of the other folks who I get to work with every day, Chris Cox is just an, an amazing person, right? I always tell people, that you should only hire people to be on your team if you would work for them. Mm-hmm. And it's not that I'm like looking to swap my role, but like I think that in Well, a, you fired yourself earlier. Yeah, but but in an alternate yeah, but in an alternate universe, I would be honored to work for any of these people. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that that is I don't know, that is a greater gift than having 
some external mentors who I get to talk to once a, a quarter. Right, right. Okay, my very last question. We didn't get to talk about products. What is your... We did. We talked about little community. Bit. Yeah, community, community. I got that in there. Well, I, I know you did. But of the products, of the many products that... And we didn't get to talk about diversity. We didn't talk about tech addiction. There's all kinds of stuff we could talk about. But of You want to go longer? Yeah, sure, if you want. I'm good. <laughs> Rachel says no. Um, but very briefly, what do you think the most exciting product area is right now? Let's finish up on that. Well, I think it, the, the the time frame matters. I, I'm very excited about this social mission mm-hmm. of helping a, a billion people uh, Join be a part of meaningful communities. Okay. I think that that is a very important social need. Um, I think we're well set up to do it, and and I'm I'm, I'm very excited about the team that's doing that. Longer term, um, as a technologist, I mean, one of the things that just excites me is there are always different. There are always new computing platforms mm-hmm. and. Every ten or fifteen years, a new one comes along. And they're always more more native. They they capture your human experience more mm-hmm. immersively. They let you share more naturally what you you're experiencing. Um, and I just think that VR and AR are going to be a really big deal. Yeah. Um, you know, you can just see this trajectory from early internet uh, when the technology and connections were slow. Most of the internet was text. It's like okay, text is great, but it's it's can be sometimes hard to expl- to capture. Um, what's going on? So then we all got phones with um, with cameras on them, and the internet got good enough to be primarily images. Now the networks are getting good enough that it's primarily video. And at each step along the way, we're able to capture the human experience it with greater fidelity and richness. And I think that that's great. So now I, I do think that we're going to move towards this world where eventually you'll be able to capture a whole experience um, that you're in and be able to send that to someone. And I think that that's just going to be an amazing technology for perspective taking and and putting yourself in other people's shoes, mm-hmm. um, for being able to feel like you're really physically there with someone even when you're not. And right. one of the criticisms of technology today is you're sitting and looking at your phone, and yeah. you know we could be sitting together. No, but I agree we're actually with you on VR. I've just been doing some recent VR stuff that's really yeah. Awesome. And I mean, it's it, it's not. There's there's a few technology leaps that still need to be made, but the initial use is amazing and. And I just think that, that that's a really important technology. I'm not sure Both, you can give people empathy, though. You can see people's the world through people's eyes, but you can't understand their experience necessarily. Yes. Although, I think that there's, there's also an economic... We've talked a lot about the social aspects mm-hmm. of all of this, but I think one of the biggest issues economically today is that opportunity isn't evenly distributed. And, you know, so you get all these people have to move to cities... Yeah. And then the cities get to be way too expensive. And if you have a technology like VR where you can be present anywhere but live where you choose to, then I think that that can be really profound. I mean, it's. Um, I mean, I look at you know there, there are really only a few solutions to this. I mean, there's um, you know historically cities have grown to be bigger by building better physical infrastructure, and there will be some amount of that. I mean, I think things like hyperloops and things like that can that can extend the suburbs. I think it could be quite interesting. But you know, I have to believe that you know we're here in 2018. It's much cheaper and easier to move bits around than it is atoms. Yeah. Um, it strikes me that something like VR or AR or even video conferencing on the path to that um, has to be a more likely part yeah. of the solution than like just building a ton of of physical infrastructure. So it's not that we'll, we'll do both, but but I think that, that ends up being just critically important. And we didn't touch on that so much today in this, mm-hmm. but one of the areas that we're really focused on is economic empowerment. And mm-hmm. one of the things that we're most proud of is that there are eighty million small businesses who use our tools. Um, and when you poll them, 
the majority of them say that they're growing jobs, um, creating jobs and growing faster because of using our tools. And the vast majority of them aren't even paying, right? They're not, Mm -hmm. we have about 6 million advertisers and 80 million small businesses. So that's an area where that's really the foundation of the economy. Um, And if we can help grow that, um, then that will also make communities stronger and will end up being just a really important part of how I think um, the country and the world uh, holds together and moves forward over the next 10 or 15 or 20 years. All right, now you have one chance. What would you like to say to your giant nation state of Facebook right now? What is the one thing? Like, well, I'm we've been sorry for, for a this. while. I know, I, I but one. what's the one thing they're getting wrong about you right now? I'm going to give you a nice out. You know, that's tough. It's always hard to say what, what is the, the, the one thing. Um, I don't know. I, I think that the main thing that I'm that I've tried to internalize this year is we get that there's a big responsibility in a lot of things that we need to do better than we are and we are working on it and I think a lot of them we're doing better already and for the rest we're committed to to getting to where we need to be for the community and at the same time we also feel a responsibility to keep on moving forward on giving people tools to share their experience and and connect and come together in new ways because ultimately that's the unique thing that Facebook has put on this earth to do. And I think if we don't push forward on that, um, we will be missing our responsibility for advancing the ball there. Um, so that's what I care about. And we're just very serious about making sure that we do both of those things. All right, Mark, I really appreciate you talking about a lot of things. We we didn't get to everything, but I do appreciate it. And uh, we'll save it. We'll, we'll do it we'll again. We'll do it. Yeah. We'll do it Next time we'll, we got, oh, we got a lot of stuff. Um, thank you so much. And uh, we will talk again soon. Thanks again to Facebook CEO, Mark Zuckerberg for coming on the show. If you enjoyed this interview as much as I did, be sure to subscribe to the show. You can find more episodes of Recode Decode on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts, or just visit recode.net slash podcasts for more. And if you have a minute, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and tell other people about the show. That helps them discover great interviews just like this one. Now that you're done with this, you should check out our other podcasts, Too Embarrassed to Ask and Recode Media with Peter Kafka. You can find those shows wherever you found this one. Thank you for listening to this episode of Recode Decode and thanks to our editor, Joel Robbie and our producer, Eric Johnson. I'll be back here on Saturday. Tune in then. Hi, Recode Decode listeners. I want to tell you about a new podcast, The Arthur Brooks Show. That's me, Arthur Brooks, and I'm president of the American Enterprise Institute. I'm making a new podcast with Vox Media. Now, as president of AEI, that's a Washington think tank, I see bitter disagreement all the time, and it's terrible. We need some way to disagree, not less, but better. So this is a series that looks at the art of disagreement. The first episode is out July 12th. Find it on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And most of all, subscribe right now.